Hello, October. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, the first day of October 2021. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas, KUAF. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere with the KUAF app. In about three and a half minutes, Michael Tilley explains a major acquisition for a River Valley trucking company and why the latest financial numbers for Van Buren are good news for that city. There are just more than 1,000 new cases of COVID-19 diagnosed in yesterday's report from the Arkansas Department of Health with 21 newly reported deaths in the state. Again yesterday, hospitalizations in Arkansas dropped by 31 patients. Active cases were reduced by 235. There are nearly 70 fewer school districts in Arkansas that are included in the top two tiers of infection as measured by the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. That's 50 or more known infections per 10,000 residents over a 14-day period. This week, the number of districts in those two top tiers, 77, down from 147 last week. And there are still just five school districts in the state where at least 50% of residents of the district are vaccinated, including Bentonville, which has the highest vaccination rate at 53%. Getting from western Arkansas to western Missouri should take a little less time beginning today. The Bella Vista Bypass is open after nearly a quarter century of discussion, planning, and construction. Governors from both Arkansas and Missouri shared in the ribbon-cutting responsibilities yesterday for the connector that links Interstate 49 in Arkansas and Missouri. Arkansas legislators continue the final part of the regular session today, primarily designed to finalize Arkansas's congressional redistricting maps. But debate over procedure and proposed legislation related to the COVID-19 pandemic dominated a meeting of the full Arkansas Senate yesterday. A slate of similar bills that would walk back parts of President Joe Biden's vaccine requirements for workers came up for a vote on the Senate floor yesterday. But a number of lawmakers, including Republican Senator Jonathan Dismang of Beebe, took issue with the lack of notice given to the public so they could comment on them. We sit down, we read the bill numbers, and we batch vote them out. The general public had 30 minutes notice, had no chance to read the bills, and we think that that's okay. Senators had voted on Wednesday to suspend rules requiring at least 24 hours notice to the public before bills are heard in committee, though several lawmakers yesterday said they regretted voting in favor of that. Independent State Senator Jim Hendren of Gravit said the fact that lawmakers are even proposing legislation not related to redistricting is in violation of the state constitution. We had three months to address COVID legislation. Three months. Many of these bills that we're talking about have already been run and their fate determined once. To compare that with redistricting, which we had no possible way to complete because we had no census data, is in no way the same with regard to unfinished business. Lawmakers ultimately voted to send eight pandemic bills back to Senate Public Health, Welfare and Labor Committee to give members of the public an opportunity to comment. And Arkansas's cross-country teams will be running in Fayetteville tonight at the annual Chili Pepper Race at Agri Park. The men are ranked eighth in the country, the women tenth. The women's race is at five this evening. The men follow with a 530 race. This is Ozarks at Large for the absolute first day of October 2021. We're starting it off this month with Michael Tilley from his office in Fort Smith. Michael's with Talk Business and Politics. Got your Halloween costume prepared, Michael? I'm scary enough as it is. I don't need a costume. <laughs> Again, though, a you good year, a good year to have a mask. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got a mask. I don't, maybe I should draw something on it or something. But, you know, us. Folks in the media, we're the enemy of the people anyway, so we're pretty scared. That's a very good point. Hey, let's <laughs> let's talk about Van Buren, home of the Pointers, I believe, if I have my mascots correctly. Um, they were top center on TalkBusiness.net for a couple of days this week. Yeah, um, and some good news um, uh, out of Van Buren, which is the second largest city in the Fort Smith metro area. Uh, one of the best, um, one of the best, I wouldn't say the best, one of the best downtown environments in Arkansas, I think, but that's a, another story, but no, they, 
like many other cities in Arkansas, have reported excellent um, sales tax revenue. The sales tax revenue from their one and a half cent uh, percent city sales tax is up almost eight percent um, for the first eight or uh, January through August. Um, and again, that's important for the city. Half of that tax um, supports the police, fire, parks, and economic development efforts. Uh, it was approved in 2012. Um, and then the other half goes in the city's general fund. The city's share of the Crawford County taxes, which is 1.25%, but it went down, and I'm going to make a point about that in a minute. But that tax has brought in a little over $2.2 2 for the city, um, which is up over 13% um, for the year. Uh, and that tax dropped from 1.75% to 1.25% in July. So even with the lower rate in, collected in July and August, it's still up uh, a little over 13%. So it, again, it's not a surprise. We've seen this in uh, Northwest Arkansas. I've seen it in Fort Smith in terms of tax revenue being higher. Um, but it's, it's definitely been seen in Van Buren and, um, you know, and, and it's welcome. It's welcome revenue in Van Buren. Mayor Joe Hurst over there really picked up from where Mayor Freeman, Mayor Bob Freeman left off in terms of um, building infrastructure, um, repairing infrastructure, boosting uh, emergency service, police and fire. Um, the city's really, uh, and I'm not, <laughs> they're not paying me for this, but it's just an obvious thing. They've, they've, um, taken a lot of measures in the last, I'd say 10 years really to, um, improve, improve that city. So it's good to see, it's good to see this tax revenue, uh, coming in to kind of benefit that and keep that going. There's another headline at talkbusiness.net that really, uh, caught my eye. ArcBest acquires truckload brokerage firm in a $235 million all cash deal. First of all, and you know, I'm a nerd for uh, logistic stuff. What is a truckload brokerage firm well if you are if Kyle Kellams is pr is producing um, whatever Kyle Kellams wants to produce and you need to get your raw materials in and then you need to get the finished product out you you're not going to be invested in the trucking fleet so you're going to call someone to make that happen for you that's mm -hmm. who you call that's one example there are many examples of people who use these firms um, but this is a Chicago-based company, Molo, which short is short for Modern Logistics. Um, yeah, $235 million deal. That's the initial deal. There are some financial targets there um, uh, for a few years, and, and ArcVest did not disclose what those targets are, so the deal could be more than $235 million. Uh, and ArcVest has it. You know, they ended their second quarter with uh, a little over 360 million in cash and cash equivalents. ArcBest has always been a very low debt uh, company that has always carried a lot of cash and they've been able to move quickly on these acquisitions over the years. But, um, and Kyle, this really goes to, I know we've, I think both you and our nerds or geeks or whatever you want to talk, uh, call it on supply chain. We've talked in the past about how this global supply chain is just in a kink and um, ArcBest, this is just a classic case of ArcBest making hay while the sun shines. I mean, they're buying a company that is benefiting greatly, making money hand over fist. For example, um, they only made, I think, close to $200 million, uh, um, a couple of years ago. This year, that this company is expected to earn $600 million in revenue. And even more than that, the next year, and this is all because um, of this capacity issue, this supply chain crunch. For example, um, it was recently reported that uh, spot rates, and I hope I'm not losing too many people, but spot rates, if you want to hire that truck, um, those rates have risen from about 40 cents a mile to 72 cents a mile uh, from January to August. That's a huge increase. Um, and so companies like Molo, companies like ArcBest Logistics, uh, they get a, a, you know, a certain percentage of that. And as those rates go up, they get more. So it's a very lucrative business to be in right now, uh, helping people get products to 
uh, and from the market. Finally, it is time again to make uh, nominations for what will be now the third annual Western Arkansas Business of the Year Awards. There are several different categories. This is uh, something created by Talk Business and Politics. What kind of nominations are you all looking for? Well, we're looking for uh, several sets. We're looking for Business of the Year. That's a category with 300 more employees. Small Business of the Year, uh, under 300 employees. A startup category, it's a business that's uh, founded in the Fortune Metro within the past three years, and then a nonprofit uh, of the year. And we look at these, this is not, um, I want to try to be uh, diplomatic about this. This is not one of these little silly popularity who bought the most ad contest that a lot of these newspapers are doing now. This is, we take these nominations and we look at these companies based on not only their business success, but what they do for their employees, what they give back to their community. It's a, it's a broader look. Uh, you know, we're not, even if they've been wildly successful in business, we, we still want to know what they've done to improve the world around them. And so that's how we, uh, we look at it. And there's several people here that talk business, look at that. It's not just one person. We pull all our ideas and notes together and, try to come up with um, um, the right winners. So we've been very pleased. We've had very good participation in the past. Um, First National Bank of Fort Smith, Arvest, uh, Fort Smith Brewing Company. I mean, those are some of the winners in the past. Artvest has been a winner also. So um, we encourage folks to send those nominations. You can find the uh, nomination form uh, at our website. All right. Uh, Finally, Arkansas, Georgia, Tomorrow morning, Georgia's two, Arkansas's eight. Biggest game in some time for Razorback football. It is. I think someone said it's the the first time we've been matched up inside a top ten with another inside the top ten team since 1964. I think oh. I read. I'm sure someone will correct me out there. I'm I'm sure that's wrong, and people are screaming at the radio right now. But um, that'd be a big deal. Look, I, I'm not betting against the Hogs anymore. I. I expected them to beat Texas. I didn't expect them to beat Texas A&M. I'm going to quit betting against them. I'm going to say the Hogs win, even though they're like 18 and a half point underdogs, I think at this point. So I don't know. I'm all, I'm all, I've drank the Kool-Aid for the Hogs. <laughs> well, I hope they win. I'm not going to put my $235 million all cash bet on no, it just yet. No, but, no. All right. Unless, unless you've got a billion dollars sitting aside somewhere. But, Public yeah, radio, that's no. what we have. We have billions of dollars just laying aside. Uh, Michael Tilly is with Talk Business and Politics. He talks to us every Friday. Michael, have a great first October weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, you as well, sir. Thank you. Saturday, the latest from Capitol Hill. One restaurant's experience with the labor market and a great playwright who can't smile. I learned to prize the function of the muscles over vanity, what the face can do, how it can communicate friendliness or joy, what a gift that is. Sarah Rule, Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition, tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on KUAF and streaming for free at KUAF.com and through the updated KUAF app. Still to come on this Friday edition of Ozarks at Large, the indigenous event of stickball. David Cummingdeer will be on the University of Arkansas campus Monday night to explain how stickball, the predecessor for so many team sports in the Americas, is more than just a sport. We reached him yesterday to get a preview of his Monday evening conversation. That's in about 10 minutes on our show. Right now, a thank you to everybody who helped us reach, then go past, our September fundraising goal of $150,000. When we ended the on-air fundraising portion of the fundraiser last night, we had just more than $153,000 raised, which means we know we can continue to bring you great news, music, and entertainment every day of the week on KUAF. Thanks again to everyone who contributed. And if you didn't get a chance, you can always go at any time of day to support KUAF.com, and thank you. Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale presents Seen Through Her Wardrobe, Glimpses of Annabelle Searcy. Annabelle Applegate Searcy was one of many women exercising their independence at the turn of the 20th century. Through journals, letters, photos, and more, her life is pieced together. ShilohMuseum.org or 750-8165 for more information. 
Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring accounting and taxes with information on accounting firms, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and information available at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. This is Ozarks at Large. On this first day of a new month, we're checking in again with journalists at ArkansasCOVID.com, a service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Mary Hennigan is assistant editor and Rachel Sanchez-Smith, a reporter and translator for ArkansasCOVID.com. Mary Hennigan says this past month's numbers regarding the virus in Arkansas didn't really follow any of the previous tendencies in Arkansas. So for the last year and a half, the pandemic has kind of followed this wave pattern. And so there are these spikes and falls of cases in the state. And now we're seeing the end of yet another wave of the COVID-19 cases in the state. So to prepare for this meeting, we ran some preliminary numbers on the 28th. And in September, the case count was about 41,000. And that is about one third less than what was reported in August. And this case count um, in September was most similar to what we saw in July. And this was pretty unexpected for many in the state, including health officials that we talked to. And this is because of the recent schools, school openings, sporting events, and holiday gatherings. I spoke with Dr. Jennifer Dallahay, the chief medical officer at the ADH, and she was happy to see a decline in cases, but the reason for it at this time is still unknown. So even after a year and a half into this pandemic, the virus still remains unpredictable. Yeah, and and right. Fewer new cases, you know, when we're comparing to this time. But still, I mean, the last day's new case report that we have as we record this on Thursday evening is from Wednesday. It was still 1,150 new cases. That's not insignificant. Absolutely. Unpredictability is the perfect word to describe what we're seeing now. And, you know, changing a little bit of topics that can also be seen in our state's hospitals on on the topic of hospitalization rates. Northeast hospitals in Arkansas seen some of the highest covid rates around 16 covid patients per 100 beds. You know, I spoke with um, Mitchell Nail, a media relations manager at St. Bernard's Medical Center in Jonesboro a couple of days ago. And he said, well, in particular, St. Bernard's hasn't seen, you know, major increases. The number of COVID patients hasn't decreased as quickly as the rest of the state, prompting, you know, concern on that end. And in particular, they had a pretty hard month with about 42 deaths in September alone. Now said that he added that nearly 98 percent of those deaths at St. Bernard's involved unvaccinated patients. I know we've seen some dramatic, more dramatic increases in shots given this week. But Governor Asa Hutchinson said at his briefing, you got to consider that some of those are booster shots, third shots for people who had the Pfizer vaccine. Absolutely. And I think he mentioned nearly a third of the shots um, administered on that particular the day of the press conference were booster shots. And as you mentioned that day during um, that press conference, the governor, the first lady and secretary of health, Dr. Romero, were given their booster shot on live television, you know, in an effort to encourage others to get vaccinated. And that eligibility for the booster shot extends to people over the age of 65, those with qualifying medical conditions, and those in professions that are prone to high exposure, like educators, law enforcement. And you know, these booster shots come as the public worries about more transmissible variants, or variants, sorry, circulating the state in the recent month. Um, you know, variants that prompted the surge in the summer throughout July and August. Um, the Delta variant, which, as we know, causes nearly twice as many infections as the original variant, according to the CDC. And, you know, reporters were asking Dr. Romero, OK, do, do we have to worry about new variants, especially, you know, as the booster shot becomes available, as we're going into the latter months of this pandemic right now? And he said, you know, while they are of concern and they are monitoring the Mu and Lambda variant, he stated that those variants aren't necessarily increasing uh, or aren't fueling a major increase like the Delta and Alpha variant have. We, we, as you both have mentioned, we're almost 19 months into this. We aren't seeing a dramatic increase over this last month, are we, in first shots, people who are deciding to finally get vaccinated? Yeah, so as far as vaccines go, Arkansas has pretty much seen a stagnated pace. Um, We're ranked 41st in the country for vaccinations and just 16 out of 
the 75 counties have a vaccination rate above 50%. And so again, Dr. Dalahay pointed to some of the reluctance uh, for getting vaccinations in the younger generation. And she said that this is because they haven't seen that direct impact like the older generation has. And so in January, when vaccination rates were at their highest, um, she said that it was mostly those who, as she called it, were the early adopters. And so she's again pointing to those in the older generation. But for September, um, doses given of the vaccine were much lower than they were, especially at the beginning of this year, but even in August. We, we've seen some very sobering uh, fatality cases daily. I mean, uh, in the 20s, the 30s, Asa Hutchinson said, to, you know, earlier this month that, well, that doesn't mean those are deaths that have occurred in the last 24 hours. Some of these go weeks or months back. Do we have any idea how many of those are from weeks or months ago and how many are from September? It's a little hard to tell just because of the implications that go into the reporting of the cases. Um, it's not first, it's also determining if people were positive for COVID, then um, absolutely seeing if there were other diseases and, um, you know, infections that may have gone into it. So, you know, we do have a, a good idea. And like Mary said, deaths are very much a lagging indicator of this pandemic. We kind of look to cases and hospitalizations to tell us what we know at least a little bit immediately within the last couple of weeks. And speaking on the hospitalizations in um, conversations that I've had with hospitals, they continually are saying, you know, patients are getting younger. We're seeing younger patients admitted, younger patients hospitalized. Um, and, you know, this comes as school is starting and the continued gathering of students in school settings, you know, we kind of expected more news from there, but they are kind of following the general state decline that we're seeing um, in that school data. And there were spikes at the beginning of the school year in August, and it has tended to trend downwards. Um, and, you know, speaking on that a little bit, that there, there have been some pretty important changes in the quarantining practices for schools as well. Um, on Tuesday, the governor announced a new program allowing unvaccinated students to avoid quarantine if they agree to a rapid COVID test. So the students test negative and wear a mask throughout the entirety of the expect or the exposure, um, they may remain in school. He also announced that going forward, faculty and students with, in schools with more than 70% of their total population, again, including faculty and students, um, if 70% of them are fully vaccinated, they won't have to quarantine, I'm guessing, as an incentive to increase vaccination rates statewide. And right now, flu shots also available. Absolutely. Uh, that's mentioned at every, you know, governor's press conference that I mentioned. We don't, uh, we didn't see a super high, you know, flu um, season last year. So they're afraid that the, it may prompt, you know, a bigger surge this year. So really the effort is go get vaccinated, go get your flu shot so we can prevent and hopefully end this pandemic as soon as we can. I, my, my shots were Moderna, which we don't have boosters for Moderna yet. So the Pfizer I'm not supposed to get that as a booster, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, the governor said that if for those who have gotten Pfizer, so six months after your um, second dose, you're eligible. And also right now, if you currently follow or are eligible under, you know, the current state's requirements that you can go get your shot. But that's only if you've gotten Pfizer and only six months after your second dose. Anything I've neglected to ask or that either of you would like to add? So in September, we did see cases decline, but deaths did remain high. September totaled more than 700 deaths. And like I mentioned earlier, the month's cases were similar to July's, but the death count in September tripled that of July's count. And September was the fourth deadliest month on record in Arkansas. Mary Hannigan, Rachel Sanchez-Smith with Arkansas COVID. Thank you very much. Um, we'll talk again in 30 days. Absolutely. Thank yes. you so much. Mary Hannigan is the assistant editor of ArkansasCovid.com. Rachel Sanchez-Smith is a reporter and translator with ArkansasCovid.com. Our conversation took place on Zoom yesterday. You can dig deeper at ArkansasCovid.com. Before we played football, baseball, or really any other team sport on this continent, there was stickball. 
The fierce event is the ancestor of so many team sports and carries with it more than just winning and losing. Monday night, David Cummingdeer will discuss stickball and how it's deeply connected to Cherokee and other tribes' cultures in the first of a series called Words and Ways, a Cherokee language and culture series. Before his talk Monday, we reached him in Oklahoma to find out more about stickball, an event he says that has evolved over time. And none of the tribes have game that uh, is identical to another tribe. But it was still, there could be standards set so that a Creek Indian and a Cherokee Indian, different tribal, different tribes with different languages could come together on a ball field and play a, a game with a standard. Uh, it may be different from their, their own game they play back home, but there was sort of a, a standard. And this game was uh, primarily used to settle uh, disputes between the tribes over land and other things. And instead of killing each other, you would play ball. And so it was a fierce uh, competition. And, and the object, for people who are unfamiliar, the object, I mean, you've got the ball, you've got to put it through, I guess, what would be called a goal. Can you strike it through? Can you carry it through? How do you? How does a point get scored? Well, in the in the men's game uh, that we're talking about here, the full field sport uh, of stickball, it is two goals, maybe a hundred yards apart or so. It could be different, but more or less a hundred yards, and each goal. Uh, is is tended by a guard with rear guard helping him. You know, much like soccer or uh, you know any of the field sports where there's a ball and you have to get it through the goal. You can throw the ball through the goal, or you can run the ball through the goal. But there may be serious consequences for trying to run it through that goal. <laughs> Your opponents are armed with ball sticks as well, and they have an obligation to defend that goal uh, by all means. And if you get near that goal with the ball in your sticks, and you have possession of that ball and you make a move to get through that goal, uh, you will be stopped with sticks, possibly even in the head. I mean, they will stop you. But so throwing the ball is uh, for here in Oklahoma, the Muscogee Creek people and the Cherokees that are affiliated with the Creek people, you know, the, the ball is thrown to the goal. Um, and in and, and the Eastern band of Cherokee Indian game, the ball is not thrown to the goal. It is run to the goal. Uh in, in possession of the player, you have to run it through the goal. Ooh. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just an all, it's full contact sport. It is a full contact event. I hate to even call it a sport because it's more than a sport. It's a culture. It's, it's our ancient tradition. It's our warrior society that we still retain uh, much of it today. And so calling it, for me, calling it a sport uh, is is not really accurate. It's, it, but yet it's not a religion either. But it is part of our uh, beliefs, which some would define as uh, part of a religion, uh, tribal town law that we we honor. I'm a radio guy, so I I'm curious. What's what's it sound like? when stickball is being played? Uh, there are uh, traditional uh, vocals that are heard throughout the game, both by the players and the families of the players that are, you know, along the edge of the ball field. And, you know, a lot of it is in, in our native language, of course, but, uh, you know, the, the sticks is a constant 
sticks hitting each other, the hickory sticks hitting each other is constant throughout the game and, uh, or even sticks hitting bone, you know, skull, body of a man, you know, men are, are not wearing shirts. So the, you know, the, the sound of a, of a, a three foot long hickory stick striking a man's back, you know, is heard through the game. And, uh, it's almost like, uh, deer antlers, elk antlers, and, uh, elk bull elks fighting each other, you know, with the antlers, the tines of the antlers clashing on it. That's the sound. Mm. And the, 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 uh, the sound of the warriors uh, making their their war calls through the game, you know, and the excitement, and uh, it's uh, it's quite a sight to see, I tell you. And I've I've stepped on the field many times myself, and it is one of the most uh, passionate things that you can do today for me. It, it's one of the most passionate things that I can do as a Indian is to prepare for and step onto that ball field at daybreak and, you know, represent myself and my family and my tribe through my efforts on the field. And, you know, bones are broken, hands, fingers, collarbones. These guys, they they keep playing. There's no timeouts. uh, If they're hurt real bad, they'll drag them off the field. But (laughs) other than that, it's uh, game on. You know, it's, it is truly the grandfather of field sport in America. Thank you so much for your time. This is, this has been an honor to talk to you about it. Yes, sir. I will tell you one more thing. Oh, please. The game, the game today, the game that we play here in Oklahoma, uh, the stronghold of it is with the Muskogee. Uh, tribal towns. Uh, I must give them credit for for retaining so much of the ball game, and and I make a lot of sticks for for my brothers out there. You know, I'm a Cherokee Indian, but the Muscogee uh, people have, have really retained the the essence of the traditional game, and and I'm honored that I do get to play with them, and 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 my son uh, also get to play and, and it it's it's not a war anymore it's not they make it clear to us that but it is a reminder that we come from men that will uh defend our family and our home uh through this uh traditional game you know it's it's a strong reminder of, of who we are as a people and uh you know, that we will uh, face injury and, and maybe worse to, to defend our family and our home. And so to me, that's, that's really what it means. It's brother against brother, father against son today. My son is my opponent on the field, and we will fight like tigers on the field. But the instant the game is over, we love each other again. And respect each other for for the efforts and the, the competition. It's an amazing part of our culture, and I'm so happy and so uh, it has really fulfilled my life to be able to be a part of it. And and now, uh, as I get older, fifty. And I and I get to make sticks for the young warriors. I, it's such an amazing honor for me to to be able to contribute that back to my people, and um, just uh, an, uh, an unbroken line of culture that I do believe is the grandfather of of many many sports that we we know today. David Cumming here will discuss more about stickball Monday night at seven at the University of Arkansas Multicultural Center. He spoke with us yesterday morning. His talk is the first in the Words and Ways, a Cherokee language and culture series at the University of Arkansas. Other talks are scheduled for October 20th. That's a discussion about the importance of maintaining indigenous languages. And November 3rd, 
a talk about further reviving the Cherokee language and the importance of stories. One day he took me in the back. When he opened the door, the organ was staring dead at me. I ran over there to the organ. I, he said, if you can get this out of here. The organ and I, we were birth twins. And we were born together. That's how that happened. That's jazz organist Dr. Lonnie Smith. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz. Dr. Lonnie has left us, but this week I'll feature an interview I did in 2014. The music lives on Shades of Jazz. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tonight from 10 to midnight on KUAF 91.3. Then tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3, our HD channel that's available for free on your HD radio at home or in your car. Also available for free at KUAF.com or streaming wherever you are through the KUAF app for your iPhone or iPad. And there's more great locally produced music on KUAF throughout every weekend, including tonight at 9, the Generic Blues Show with Paul Kelso. Tomorrow evening at 5, the KUAF Vinyl Hour with Lee Wood. Tomorrow night at 7, the Pick and Post with Mike Shirky. At 9, Western Red. And if this ain't country, and at 10 every Saturday night, including this Saturday night, the Jazz Scoop with Rob Wells. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville offers the perfect destination to experience art, architecture, and 120 acres of Ozark nature. Visitors can explore the galleries, walk the trails, or participate in art-making programs. More information at crystalbridges.org. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. A new film starring the Adams Family is out today. Courtney Lanning, film critic with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, says... Ah, we shouldn't bother. Is that a proper summation? Yes, that's that's about what I would say. Or in a one-word review, woof. Woof. Okay, so give me a couple examples of why this Adams fam this version of the Adams family doesn't work. So if you're a big Adams family fan and you're used to the usual macabre, creepy style of humor, it's just not really present front and center in this movie. This is more just like the writers decided to have a bunch of sketches, none of which were very funny, and then they just put the Adams family into those scenarios. It it's it's a very strange movie. There's not a lot about it that works. And um you know it's there's just not a lot of redeeming qualities to it. Uh well it's a shame. Well, it's a shame because the Adams family, I mean, these characters have been around in some medium or the other uh, for, I don't know, 80 years or so. Right. The first Adams family comic was published in 1938. And, you know, fans of the franchise have a lot of ways to get on board. You've got TV series from the 60s and 70s. You've got the 90s trilogy of films, you have the the old animated series. Uh, I think at one point, Scooby-Doo and the gang even had a crossover with the Adams Family. So of course. there's a lot of ways for you to hop onto this franchise. This this most recent movie doesn't need to be one of them, though. You, you mentioned it was like a sketch show that just sort of inserted Adams Family characters into the sketches. Give us a couple of ideas of what some of these sketches are. So it took four writers to pen the script for this one movie, and it really shows. Uh, the whole thing really does just feel like a, a series of sketches that happen to have the Adams Family in them. And it's all thinly connected by the Adams Family deciding to take a family road trip together, which in itself already doesn't sound like the Adams Family. You're used to seeing them in their, their creepy house with Lurch answering the door and the haunted voice screaming at guests and they hold dances and old-fashioned cars pull up to the door. And that's what we want to see with the Adams Family. But in this new movie, we, we see them entering Wednesday in a Texas beauty pageant and Pugsley blowing up the Grand Canyon and Lurch singing I Will Survive during a disco dance roadhouse number involving bikers. It's, it's you can tell that they were just trying to make the same thing happen with the 2019 Adams family. 
$20 million budget, $200 million at the box office, and they just wanted to sling a bunch of stuff together and, and try to repeat that success. It, you mentioned it's animated. We've, there are, are there familiar um, voices that we'll hear? Well, or won't hear based on your recommendation. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really what I feel like the biggest sin of this movie is. They found a good cast. You've got Charlize Theron playing Morticia, and you've got Oscar Isaacs playing um, Gomez. They've brought in Snoop Dogg to play Cousin It. So they have a good cast. The animation looks good. It's a good, healthy, updated 3D take on, on the Adams family. Then they just don't give them anything to do. Or the wrong things um, you know, to do, it sounds like. Or the wrong things to do, right. Um, and it just seems extra insulting because they they had good stuff and they have a, a, a big foundation of other material to pull from and they just threw it all away and decided to go for the quick cash grab. All right, should you decide to completely ignore Courtney Lanning, you can see the film in theaters beginning today. What else is in theaters? So the big movie coming out this week that I would advise other people to go see, whether it's good or bad, is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I mean, it, it can't be any worse than The Adams Family too. <laughs> okay, right. And of course, that continues uh, Venom, a character from Spider-Man comics, uh, played by, help me out here, Courtney. Um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. And this continues that story. Right. And this one has Woody Harrelson as carnage the new villain gotcha what about next week so next week of course the big movie coming out is the new 007 movie no time to die and i i kid you not i got turned down for this movie within 30 seconds of emailing to ask about it so, hey you... can i have and they said no uh quite quite quickly so i'll, I'll be reviewing a netflix slasher film called there's somebody in your house all right you can read the full review of Adam's Family. Is it just called Adam's Family? Is there a subtitle? Adam's Family 2. Adam's Family 2. All right. <laughs> that tells you all the creativity that was behind it right there. Adam's Family 2, full review in the Democrat Gazette today. Courtney Lanning, look forward to your reviews next week. Thanks for having me. This is Ozarks at Large. Time to look forward to what we can do this weekend with a roadmap for entertainment and culture and more is Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, how you doing? We cannot mess around today, oh, Kyle. okay, okay. <laughs> we, have, we have too much to do. Okay. We have more to do. This is the first real itinerary we've done in a while. Okay. So I am I am. Sending out my suggestions, what you do with them, is up to you. I really like things from, like, the Junk Ranch. So, you know, mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. Okay. That's where you're going to go today. To the Junk Ranch? To the Junk Ranch out at Prairie Grove. This is, if you love rusty, dusty, things repurposed, this is... Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. This is a good place. This was founded by a lady named Amy Daniels who went junking. She went to a farm sale with her sister and went, oh, there's some good deals here. And, and I'm going to buy this old quilt. And she was off. So now she does, eight years ago, she started doing a junk ranch where she invites all these other people who turn rusty, dusty things into treasures to come and share what they have. You can go today from 10 to 5, pay 10 bucks to get in, but you're getting in the first day when theoretically you get the best stuff. So that's today's suggestion. You can also go tomorrow from 9 to 5, but don't mess up this plan. Okay.
<laughs> can I just wait, 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 wait? Can I just point out that our conversation started with you saying, "I'll throw suggestions, do with them what you want," and we've already we've already migrated to "Don't mess up this Have plan." You met me? <laughs> yes. Okay, keep going. Okay. Nobody is surprised but you. This evening, you're going to the University of Arkansas. All right. You're going to go to an outdoor production of Shakespeare's Love's Labor's Lost. Sounds sounds like fun, actually. They're doing this, University Theater is doing this in the little mini Greek theater that's there adjacent to the Fine Arts Building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That they rarely do anything with. But they're doing it outdoors as a nod to COVID concerns. It's taken them 18 months to do this show because it was cast and ready to start rehearsals when COVID came along. Right. So now it's finally time. They have a guest director, big name guest director named Paul Barnes, who's from California and Oregon, was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And he promises that you will have no trouble understanding this that Shakespeare was showing off. It has the longest speech in any Shakespeare play. Does it? It does, and the longest scene, I believe. Well, he says it's super easy to understand because Shakespeare was really big into showing off rhyming. And I, to me, that makes it easier to understand. If you just give your ears a few minutes to catch on, it's not hard. This is tonight? This is tonight at 7.30, tomorrow night and Sunday night at 7.30, and again, October 6th through 10th. Oh, okay, okay. It's free. Oh, there you go. But you have to reserve tickets online at uark.universitytickets.com. On Saturday, you go into Bentonville to the Momentary. Fresh grass. Fresh grass, which they've been planning for a year and a half. And it starts today, but continues... From 10 a.m. on tomorrow, and tomorrow's lineup includes Martha Redbone and Smokey in the Mirror and the Ozarks High Ballers. So you can find out all about that at themomentary.org. Single-day tickets are 64 to $80 for adults. Sunday, you need to scoot out to Lincoln for the last day of the Arkansas Apple Festival. Oh, gosh, yeah, it is first weekend in October, isn't it? If you didn't spend all your money at Junk Ranch, the big thing about the Arkansas Apple Festival, other than apples, is arts and crafts all over the Lincoln Square. Plus, they had a whole list that they sent out of all kinds of food trucks that are going to be there. So that's from 9 to 5 on Sunday in downtown Lincoln. Or you can go the other direction and go to West Fork for a CBTU mobile art lab which is the drop-in studio and artist thing that Crystal Bridges is doing. Right. And they're doing that from 1 to 5 on Sunday at the West Fort Public Library with music by Papa Rap at noon and music by Chris Cameron at 3. And if all of this made your head hurt and you want to see it in print, you can find it in the What's Up newsletter that comes out on Fridays. All you have to do is go to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette website and click on newsletters and click on what's up, and we'll send you something that looks very much like this. What a nice service to have. So there you go. Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Soul Train made its national debut 50 years ago. And it changed a lot about how we watch music and dance on TV. In a way, it was evangelizing for a very simple, joyful aesthetic. And not asking much of anyone, but, hey, look at this thing. Isn't this miraculous? The legacy of Soul Train, next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. Now heard an hour earlier every Saturday morning on KUAF, now beginning at 10. It's part of a slightly new Saturday lineup that includes Terry Gross now on Saturdays. Fresh Air Weekend can now be heard every Saturday morning at 11 on KUAF. So the lineup tomorrow morning, 7 to 9, weekend edition with Scott Simon. Then at 9, wait, wait, don't tell me, at 10, it's been a minute with Sam Sanders at 11, 
Terry Gross and Fresh Air Weekend. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, offering mini and large pumpkins, ornamental squash, and corn stalks, as well as mums for fall decorating. Westwoodgardens.com for more information. The Center for Arkansas Farms and Food offers educational classes and apprenticeships for small specialty crop farming. CAFF is training the next generation of Arkansas farmers to provide locally grown food. CAFF is part of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Application deadline is October 1st. UAFarmSchool.org for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Lee Wood, KUAF General Manager. Boy, it seems like we just saw you. I just saw you yesterday, <laughs> last night. Last night. I think it was last yes. night. Yes. When we ended on a high note, the annual on-air fundraiser for KUAF. We did. So we concluded an entire month of fundraising in September, which is what we've been doing for a number of years. Um, the last week, we try to do the live portion, so we're on the air talking to you and taking a little bit of time out of programs, or we have special fundraising programs. And yeah, you and I finished it up, and we made our goal. We did. More than $150,000, thanks to you. Thank you very much. And one of the collaborations we did this autumn was with Penguin Heads and Area Hospitals. Absolutely. So this was really... Um, Something we've never done before, and I think it really resonated with our listeners and donors because we're, they're such community-oriented people. We know that about our listeners. So we did partner with Penguin Eds, which has been a longtime supporter of KUAF, um, to basically to raise money in the afternoons during the fundraiser, um, trying to get 30 gifts of $30 or more so that we could then give a Penguin Ed's gift card of the same amount to local hospitals um, so that they can then use it to feed their staff. So that it, that basically equals 50 meals. Right. Right? And we wanted to, you know, we wanted them to be able to use it when they want, how they want it. So it really ended up being a pretty perfect partnership. And I'm happy to say that, we, heard, we just got tremendous response, um, and so we will be giving those gift cards next week to uh, the staffs of Washington Regional Medical Center in Fayetteville, Northwest Health in Springdale, Mercy Hospital in Rogers, Eureka Springs Hospital, and Siloam Springs Hospital. Um, so we, it's great to be able to show our appreciation across our listening area to people who've been working tirelessly for a year and a half. Thank you so much for making this uh, another successful fall fundraiser. Lee Wood, General Manager KUF, thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle.